Thank you for choosing our podcast. If you'd like more information on how to get connected with our ministry or to financially partner with us, just visit us on the web at citylightsac.org. Today's message is from our series, Truth in a World of Gray. We will be learning how to look through a lens of truth while navigating through today's shifting cultural norms. So prepare your heart for God's truth to be revealed to you through this message. to be in church this morning. I want to ask you something before, before we continue on in worship. If you're here this morning and you need to be encouraged, you're here this morning, you're going through something that maybe only a select few people know or maybe only you and God know. There's some things in your life you need God to help you deal with and maybe it's a good decision about should I take this job or maybe it's how's my marriage going to work itself out. Whatever the case may be, if you're here this morning, and you're feeling like, I would be okay if God moved in my life. Would you just raise your hand? I want you to know this. We're in this series called Truth in a World of Gray, and we've been talking about the gray areas of life and, and, and preaching truth. And I want you to know this, that I need your help to preach the message this morning. You've not come just to hear me. Maybe some of you had. You've not made a bad decision, if that's your motive. I have a feeling it's going to be good. But I need you to help me. And so here's what I need you to do. I don't need attaboys, though my love language is words of affirmation. So, but if I preach something and it strikes a nerve, I need you to let me know. I need you to communicate with me. Now let me do most of the talking, okay? I'm the preacher here. But I want to start off by this because I feel like this is a, it's a heavy message. It's good but I need your mind to be ready. So I want you to repeat after me. Those of you who raised your hand and you said you want to hear from God this morning, you need him to move. I want you to repeat after me. Say, my mind is open. My heart is ready. Say it again. My mind is open. My heart is ready. I'm going to explain where we're at here in just a moment. So don't get caught up when we start reading these verses. You're not exactly sure what's going on. Let me say this though. We're in Romans chapter six this morning. And right before this, the apostle Paul, he has made this statement about how grace is available for everyone. So if you're here this morning, you're not a believer in Jesus or you're skeptical about church or you've had some kind of bad experience, the good news is that it's available to you. You don't have to sit here and and worry about are you judged or out of place? You're in the perfect place. We always tell people there's no prerequisite to be a part of what God is doing here except to be a sinner. That's pretty important if you're going to be a part of God's family. So Paul's just got done telling the church in Rome, hey, there's grace available. And we pick up in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, you need to hang on to that and wrestle with that. What does it mean when Paul says that we've died to sin? What does that mean that we've died to it? He says, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, that power was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit through the power of the Father and connected together were what caused Jesus to raise up on the third day from the tomb. That same power that caused him to do that. If you're here this morning and you're in Christ, you have that power as well. Somebody should just jump to the roof right then. You can't see it, but in my left boot, my toes are curled up like this right here because I'm so jacked up. He 
He says that Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may, you may, live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with cross so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So we're dead to it. It no longer has power over us. And we are no longer slaves to sin. Those of you who raised your hand and maybe you knew in your heart that there were some things you're going through, there's an addiction you can't overcome, your marriage is struggling, there's financial problems, and you've made some bad decisions and you're part of that. There's good news for you this morning. There's good news for those of you who have got a a past that's less than desirable. You are no longer slave to that. That's not where your identity is at this morning. And really moving forward, you're no longer slave to sin. Paul says in verse 7, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So we're, we're not slaves to it. We've died to it. It has no reign over us. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. And see, if there was no crucifixion, there could be no resurrection. And because he was raised and he will never die again, death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and the last three words he said was, say it with me, it is finished. I want to know if you're going through something this morning, do you know that you already have the capability to defeat whatever it is? Within you, you have the ability through Christ and the glorious power to overcome all things. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now, I want to know, I want to ask you something. Can you hang with me now in this moment? Not think about what you had going on or what's coming on after church, but now. Now, for just the next little bit, living in the now. He lives, and he lives for the glory of God. And then he turns. He says, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. I want to take just the remainder of our time this morning to talk with you about the subject of this is who I am. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, you don't know me. And if there's somebody else around you, I want you to say, you really don't know me, but you're going to wish you did. Hey, if you're ready to hear from God this morning, let's celebrate that. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Did y'all enjoy worship this morning? Good. Good, good, good. Hey, so we've been in this series... Um, truth in a world of gray. And the whole idea behind it is that we are talking about these gray areas that we often face in life, particularly Christians. Uh, and if you missed any message, you can always go back and connect with us um, on our podcast there and listen to those. But uh, there's a lot of gray areas for Christians, I think, these days. And we live in a world that's constantly being edited to perfection that tells us what we should be, who we should be, how we should live, what's new, what's, what are cultural norms. And that's not necessarily the case. The world doesn't dictate that. And so what we've been doing in the series then is letting the filter of Scripture 
be our lens for which we discover truth. So as if we're looking out and our lens is through the filter of truth, biblical uh, scripture and, and just support for that. And, and one of the things that I want to spe- specifically talk about this morning is, is the gray area of sin. And I th- we're not necessarily going to answer like every question about every sin that you're going through, but I think what we're going to do is identify what it is, and then we're also going to see how we can overcome it. And you'll see at the end that this is who I am, that your identity is who you walked in here as, what you think, the labels that you have is not really who you are, that God's got something greater in store for you. So I think a logical question then is when we're talking about sin, I ask that we do a volunteer service here for our volunteers and I ask them this question, hey, what is sin? And they were right, but a lot of the responses said things like um, wrong. I asked them to give me a one word description of the question, what is sin? They said things like wrong, disobedient, empty, uh, I think failure. Um, there was just all these different answers that really revolved around things that were truth. But a lot of times when we think of sin, we think of like behavior, right? And, and it is, sin is often when we do things wrong outside of God's will. Uh, the book of James in the New Testament says, hey, if you know to do right and you don't, that that is sin. But there's something really deeper in us that sin is. And so sin, a lot of times when we, when we talk about sin, or you think it's a behavior, like Sin is if I am not reading my Bible enough. Or sin is I'm not going to church enough. Or sin is the offering plate goes around and I tip God instead of tithe. And you make it about behaviors, and then what happens is you try to correct that behavior. So you try to start reading your Bible more. You try to start praying more. Or you try to start spending more time with your kids and more time with your wife or whatever it may be. And how many of you know that you can set a resolution and you try really hard for it? Let me ask this way. Can I just be blunt with you? How many of you have set a goal and you've still screwed it up? Do you know why? Because what if I told you sin is less about what you do than actually who you are? You thought you were coming to be built up this morning. I've got bad news for you. You're a bunch of sinners, except for me. I'm the only one. Sin is more about who you are in your nature than the actual things that you do. And let me tell you what I mean by that. So in Genesis 1 and 2, 3, and we have basically the creation of man, Adam and Eve. And Many of you know the story. If you don't know the story, God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and they were disobedient to him. They sinned by not listening to him. And so from that moment on, sin entered the world and spread to all. In Romans chapter 5, Paul talks about how sin uh, came from Adam, who was the first man. That means that death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. Meaning because we come from this, this line that we are all sinners, And David in the Psalms said, Surely I was born sinful in my mother's womb. I was a sinner. And and just something interesting to point out when you when you think about sin, so then it's no no it is our behavior, but that's really just a symptom. It's an explanation, but it's not really the reason for it. And something amazing about the power of sin and how fast it travels is you you think you have the story of Genesis one and two, the creation of man and the the earth and sea and animals and so forth and so on. And in Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. In the very next chapter, you have murder. How many of you know sin is rapid? It goes fast. You look back and say, how did I get here? But it goes like that. 
So you have the story of creation, the greatest thing that really, aside from Jesus, you know, started for humanity was that God created us and said that we were very good. We sinned. In the very next chapter, you have Cain murdering Abel. Why? Because it is in our nature. When Adam and Eve sinned, they created this chasm, this separation between us and God, and that's how we got the law. And see, through Adam's disobedience, it brought mankind condemnation, but through Christ's obedience and going to the cross, it brought justification for us all. So sin then, is, it's, it's in us, it is who we are. The, the Bible says that because Adam sinned, that death spread to everyone, and that we all sin. Now here's what's even a little bit more interesting about it is, it is about our behavior, it is certainly that, but even more, there's a deeper issue going on. When Paul, who wrote this book, this letter, Romans, when he's writing to Rome, there's a word he uses in the Greek that actually has this connotation of, it does mean guilt, it can mean failure, fault, but the greatest idea that sin means is actually missing the mark. Missing the mark. Now I have, it, it kind of has this, this uh, connotation of like an archer. Does anybody have a bow and arrow in here this morning? You do, sir. Come on up. Either that's extremely random or we have meetings around here at City Lots. I want to show you something. Now listen, I want you guys to know that we do have insurance as a church, but it, I want you to have insur- assurance, so pray this prayer with me real quick before he shoots. I'm kidding. Nothing's going to happen, hopefully. Troy has told me that if he misses, this is an arrow that will disintegrate and not rebound and ricochet. Did you see that? Thank Everybody give Troy a round of applause. If you're listening to the podcast, he just shot a compound bow up here. And I want to say this for Troy, because I love Troy. I asked him to miss on purpose. I don't know if he could hit the bullseye or not, but I asked him to miss on purpose. So the idea is this, then. Imagine, this thing's heavy, too. Imagine the bullseye is God. And on your best day, When you attempt to live for him, you miss the mark. Does that make sense? Like in your nature, you are so far off from him. That's why when you, that's why you can read your Bible. That's why you can pray. You can give generously. You can raise your hands. You can tell people on Facebook and quote scriptures that you're a Christian. But you still will mess up. Because it's less about what you do. That is a symptom. But by nature... We are so far from him that we miss the mark. Another example would be something like this. Anybody ever drove a car that's been out of line? As you're driving that car, as long as you're steering, you can overcorrect the problem, right? But as soon as you let go, it begins to what? Veer off. Now, as you're steering that car, I can tell that some of y'all are with me, as you're steering it and you're overcorrecting the misalignment, is the car still out of line? Yes. Because by your power, with your hand on the wheel, you're overcorrecting it. Now, though we miss the mark and we constantly are walking around out of line every day, by the same glorious power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power that allows us to steer and aim for the bullseye. 
I'm preaching right now. Somebody should post that on Facebook and be like, my pastor is on fire this morning. He is making sense. He is helping me. Because it's important that you understand what sin is. It's about you missing the mark. It's not necessarily about your behavior per se because that's only a symptom of it. It's not really, it's not really doesn't describe what's going on the inside. And honestly, good behavior doesn't mean you're not a sinner. How many people do you know? And I know many of them. And some of you are in here, but I'm not going to tell you who you are. We post these highlight reels on Facebook, and we, we drive nice cars, and that's great. If you work hard and make good money, you should be able to buy nice things. But how many of you know that we can surround ourselves surround ourself with good behavior and good things, but really be hiding a deeper issue on the inside? That's what sin is. It runs deep in us. It causes us to be out of line. And on our best day, listen, our best day, when you aim for the bullseye, you will miss the mark every single time. So then, that leads us to our story then. When Paul is talking to the church in Rome in chapter 5, he's talking about something called justification. Okay? And these are kind of churchy and theological terms. I want to help you understand them really, really quickly so you can leave here feeling either smarter or dumb. Hopefully smarter. Okay? In Romans chapter 5, Paul is contrasting the difference between Adam and Jesus. And because of Adam's disobedience, we were brought condemnation. But because of Christ's obedience to the cross, we, brought, we were brought justification. And what I mean by that is this. is We talked about when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it created this chasm, the separation from us and God, and there had to be a way back to him. So the law was established, but we knew that we could never keep up with the law. Anybody ever read the book of Leviticus? Does that sound like something you want to live by every day? No, I can barely even understand some of the words that are in there. Pronounce them, let alone at that. And so God sent his son, Jesus. And the idea then is that when we accept him, when we commit to following him, and by the way, it's more than just praying a prayer. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but it's more than praying a prayer. It's about committing to follow him. When you commit to following him, his teachings... When you receive what it is that he has, at that moment you become justified before God, right? Because there had to be a sacrifice for sins, and Jesus was that. And so we're justified. There's another thing called sanctification or being sanctified, and that's what Paul's talking about here in chapter 6. And sanctification is a big theological fancy word that basically means we are being set apart. We are set apart. So in Christ... At our initial encounter with him, when we receive him, accept him, and commit to following him, we're justified. Every day after that, we are becoming sanctified. Are you, does it make sense? He is setting us apart. That's what Paul's talking about here then. So if we're justified in Christ, how do we continue living holy when there's this sin that's prevalent in humanity and in us? And then finally, there's a word called glorified. And when you get to heaven, for those of you who have loved ones there, Though they may have died of cancer, a terrible car wreck, or murder, they are glorified with new bodies, and they are reigning there in heaven. And so we're justified, we're sanctified, we're glorified. And really, it's like saying this. Don't confuse what I'm fixing to say for what you think I may mean. You're saved once, and that's it. But it's like when you're justified, you become saved. When you're sanctified, it's like I am being saved. And when I'm glorified, I will be saved. Does that make sense? It's not that you have to pray that prayer every single day. But it's what God is doing in you. So that helps us understand this then. 
When Paul says, he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, this is not on the screen, he says, hey, listen, there's good news for those of you who are in Jesus. I know there's this gray area of like what is sin and how it affects us, but where sin is found, he says, grace is found even more. Amen? And so that leads us to our scripture. Take us back to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So Paul then, so he's just told him, hey, where sin is found, grace abounds even more. So he says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more? And really what he's saying here is then intentional. So should we keep on missing the mark on purpose so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Now what I love about what Paul's doing here is, this is called like a, uh, a question statement. My lovely wife who's lovely for numerous reasons, we have two little kids. And she will often say this to our four-year-old. we got a little four-year-old girl named Harper. And she'll say things like this. She'll say, Harper, how are you ever going to keep your room clean if you don't pick up your toys? Now, is she asking her a question or is she telling her that your room will never be clean if you don't pick up your toys? She's making a statement, right? That's what Paul's doing. He's not really asking the question because he knows the answer. He says, well then... Should we keep on doing this so that we can experience God's grace? Pull up the picture of Grigory Rasputin. Good-looking man right there, right, ladies? Y'all don't know this. Maybe some of you do, but we have a church plant intern here. He's not here this morning. His wife's been sick. But doesn't that look like his beard? <laughs> don't tell him I said that. This guy right here, he was a, a, a royal uh, family favorite of the Empress Alexandra in Russia in the early, late 18th, 19th century. And he had this belief that in order for you to experience all of God's grace, that you had to experience as much sin as you could. And what his philosophy was this, is that, hey, if I'm going to experience how good God really is, I've got, I've got to sin a whole lot. And the idea was that the more and more I sin and the more I go to confess to the Father, the more I really get to see how much grace He has. Does that make sense? It's stupid, right? I mean, it's an incredibly ridiculous idea because what He's suggesting is that immoral living is appropriate when you're a Christ follower. Now, the reality is, is that you're going to miss the mark, as Troy showed you as he tried his hardest to hit the bullseye and still missed, that we're going to miss the mark but this idea that Rasputin had that, hey, listen, if you really want to experience God's grace, you need to keep screwing your life up every day. is ridiculous. Take us back to verse 1 again. Because what Paul says here is this. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Verse 2. So here he answers. He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Now listen. This is a heavy theological statement right here. What does it mean when Paul says that we have died to sin? Can I first tell you what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that you no longer want to sin anymore. It also doesn't mean that you'll never sin anymore. It doesn't mean that we as Christians are so holy now that we just have completely separated ourselves from sin. It's tricky. So what does Paul mean when he says that we have died to sin. Basically what Paul's saying is this, is before you came to Christ, before you committed to following him, 
you were under the reign of the power of sin. And so when someone, when, when someone comes to me or I hear someone who doesn't follow Jesus and they sin, I ask this question. Why wouldn't they sin? Right? Why wouldn't they sin? If they're not in Christ, they're still under the power or the fancy church word is the dominion, the dominion of sin. So we would say, well, why wouldn't they? Because that is their Lord, sin. Now, if a Christ follower, someone who is committed to him, continues in sin, I'm going to ask this question, why are they sinning? Because Paul says that we're dead to it. And basically what he means is this, and you, somebody needs to capture this who feels jacked up or you feel like you keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again or you've got a deep, dark secret sin that nobody else knows about you, not even maybe your spouse, only you and God. What it means to be dead to sin is now you are alive in Christ and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you do have the power in Jesus' name to overcome all things. See, you are no longer identified by your sins. Your identity is in your Savior. You are no longer identified by your circumstances. You are an overcomer by what Jesus did on the cross. Does that make anybody happy besides me? Y'all are a rough crowd. I want to tell you, you're a rough crowd this morning. I'm not sure why either. You should be happy. I guess, I guess, see, I knew, let me tell you something about pastoring and preaching. You certainly want to preach the Word of God, but what you may or may not be aware of is that a lot of times I will write messages from the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit, but also God gives me the freedom because I know who I'm preaching to, and so I know what you're going through, and so what I want you to know is that I chose to write this message about sin because I know y'all are a bunch of sinners, and that's why you're being so quiet this morning, because you feel convicted. But it's good news, right? That we no longer have to live by that. If you ever ask yourself the question, you know, or you, you've had this thought, you know, why do I keep doing what I'm doing? Why do I keep going back to the vomit? You, you don't live under that rain anymore. You don't live under that rain. Your, your king, your Lord now is, is Jesus. And you have the ability, you've died to that when you were raised to life with Christ. You do have the ability to overcome it in him by the same glorious power that raised him from the dead. And so there's this gray area that like sin is attractive and sin is a good thing and we promote in our society really crazy sexual behavior. And it's good to do that. It's good to be prideful. It's good to be greedy. And then for Christians, there's this gray area of like, what is sin? And a lot of times we think it's our behavior and we'll say things like this. Or you may have had thoughts like this. Is it okay for me to go watch a rated R movie that has terrible language and nudity in it? Like, is God okay with that? Or is it okay that, you know, is it really sin if I don't tithe because I can't afford to? Like, God knows my heart. He knows I would if I could. Is it a sin that I only go to church when I want to or that I sleep in every now and then? Is that a sin? And you're making it all about your behavior. Right? When it's something much deeper within you. And then you also, when it comes to sin, we have thoughts like this. So, for example, is it a sin for me to watch a rated R movie, but maybe someone who doesn't feel convicted to watch a rated R movie? Does sin look different for different people? Is it a sin for me to go to the buffet and eat 35 wings, but not for the guy who's diabetic. And that's terrible theology, just to be honest with you. 
For you to say that something is a sin for you and not for someone else because you're missing the mark on what sin is. It's much greater than our behavior. The same power it was that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives in you today. And I guess what I'm wondering is this. Is if you're not living the life that you want to, and I'm just being personal here. I'm not even, this is no longer preaching because I see y'all are having a hard time receiving it. You told me that your mind was open and your heart was ready when I started, and I don't believe you now. And I'm taking it personal. Is if you're not living the way you want, million dollar question. Why are you not? Can I tell you why? For Paul to say that the same power that lives in you is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, can I just make like a hypothetical statement that I kind of believe, but I don't really want to make you mad, so I'm going to say it like I don't really mean it, and I just want you to be thinking about it. (laughs) You may not know the Jesus that you say you claim to believe. Because if that power is in us, then should our lives not look a lot different? Granted, we will miss the mark. But the problem is this, is that some of you, every single freaking day, you're still missing the mark. And what it's indicative of, what it's suggestive of, is that you are not living under the reign of Jesus. And let me just be clear here for those of you who are smart and you may be thinking this. I am not talking about perfectionism, right? None was perfect except Jesus. My wife tells me I'm pretty close second sometimes, but I'm not talking about perfectionism. But I'm asking, if, if you're not living the way you want, and listen, maybe some of this is like, because this is not really, I don't know. I feel like in my spirit right now that some of you are receiving it and some of you are not. I, can I just be honest with you? I don't know if it's because I'm not communicating the way that God showed me or if it's because actually I am communicating the way that God wants, but there's some resistance out there. Look what, look what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. This is verse 4. He said, listen, for we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, listen, just as, not kind of like, not sort of like, just as, now we also may live new lives. So then here also lies a part of attention for the Christ follower, is that you have the ability within you, but you've got to use it. You've got, to, you've got to tap into the, the power of the Spirit. You've got to tap into your own willpower to walk that you may live new lives. You've been given a new chance every day because where sin is found, where you miss the mark, grace abounds. Look what he's going down a couple more. Look what Paul says in, in verse 7. He says, for when we died, so that is like when you, when you came to him, When you submitted to him, you died with Christ. Listen, you were set free from the power, listen, the power of missing the mark. 
Meaning you do not have to walk in that. You do, listen, you do not have to walk in that. You have the ability to overcome. And the good news is this, is that when you do miss the mark, grace is found where sin abounds. Grace is found. And so really what I think would be good for, for, for you all, for everyone listening to this message, is one, is that you would understand that, okay, your identity is not in your sins, your identity is in your Savior. And that next time you judge someone for being such a wretched sinner, first off, you should compare yourself to God's glory. But the second, you should, the second thing you should realize is, hey, I am just like them. I too miss the mark and grace should abound for them as well. Grace should abound for them as well. We, we have become, as a society, particularly as a church, we have become an expert at pointing out other people's sins but not being able to acknowledge the log in our own eye. Can I rant just for a minute? Is that okay? This isn't my notes, but I just had this thought and I just want to rant for a second. There are a lot of churches that are gathering right now. Some are in other states in high schools. Some are in other counties around here meeting in high schools. Some are in churches with five, ten thousand people. Some people are sitting at home in a group of three or four watching online. In the next couple hours, the next six, twelve, eight hours, there's going to be churches that are meeting in basements in China with a light bulb on, and they're just going to be reading a couple pages of Scripture. And one of the greatest problems with us, not just you, it's more you than it is me, but it's you mainly, is that when we hear the Word of God, we don't respond. And I don't know what a response looks like for you, to be honest with you. I can't tell you exactly what that looks like. I know what it looks like for me, though, when I see that, okay, I am free from the power of sin. I no longer live under that reign. Then what that means for me is I'm going to start walking with some authority, and I'm going to start claiming that I'm a child of God. And I'm just going to say it. This morning I woke up and, and I stepped outside and I, was, I let our dogs out and I was just drinking my coffee and I just said it verbally. I said, God, I'm your child. And my neighbors are out a lot of times and I was just thinking, man, I hope they don't step outside this morning because I will look crazy. But I said, I'm, Lord, I'm your child. And do you know, let me tell you, somebody, I feel like you need to hear this. When God looks at you this morning, when God looks at you always, and I'm talking to somebody in here who feels dirty, one person in our volunteer service describes sin as filthy, and that's a great description. When God looks at you, he sees the cross, and he sees his son. And this is going to sound almost like heresy if you don't know scripture, okay? If you don't know what heresy means, it means wrong, let's say that. God sees you as blameless by what Christ did on the cross. And you just got to receive that. It's not that you walk around in arrogance, but you claim the promises of God. And you realize, and you just say, hey, I no longer live under that spirit. I no longer live under the spirit of sin, the power, the reign of that. I am a child of God, and that is how I walk, and that is how I intend to move forward with him. And then honestly, your life will begin to change when you speak it a little bit. I've shared stuff like this before as well, that... I don't know where I want this table. I've got something coming up that y'all don't know about, so I need to leave it right here. 
I speak with families all the time who are like struggling with addiction and, and just marriage problems. And one of the greatest things that I see that's redundant that happens a lot is, particularly when I'm meeting with families that struggle with addiction. I can remember one of the last families I met with, this young lady and her family, but it's happened to numerous, numerous times I've been a part of it. And they'll call me and want to speak with me about, you know, addiction and, and, you know, how to get better. And I'll go speak with the family, and almost nine times out of ten, what I recognize is that they'll know why I'm there. I'll know why I'm there, but they will not utter the words of the problem that their son or daughter has. They will not call them an addict. Do you know why? Because when you speak something, it becomes true then. It becomes true when you verbalize it. And it's almost like the elephant in the room 90 times, 90% of the time I go to these places. I'm looking for them to say, hey, tell me, so why am I here? Well, they've got a problem, she's got a problem, or our marriage is struggling, and it's okay. But when you speak something, it becomes a reality, right? When you say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography, it becomes real. When you keep it hidden in the dark, it stays there. When you start identifying yourself, even when you feel filthy and unworthy as, hey, I am a child of God, I guarantee you start to see things just a little bit differently. You start to feel a little bit differently about yourself. When you start claiming those promises over you, that you're dead to the power of sin. You're dead to the power of sin. Because Christ defeated death and sin on the grave, and I want, I want to uh, I want to show you all something. Actually, if you'll help me out here, everybody, give it up for Ashley. Thank you. You know what? Sin will destroy every marriage. Sin will destroy every home. And I want, you to, I want you to know this. Sin can destroy the church as well. If you have been impacted by your own decisions or someone else who has missed the mark, will you raise your hand? You know, Paul also makes this statement in Romans. Hang with me just for like, give me 90 more seconds. Okay, maybe three minutes. Give me just a few more. I'm almost done. And we're on time too, so you're going to get out here early. Paul makes this statement in Romans. He says, hey, there's things that I don't want to do that I end up doing. And the very things that I want to do, I don't do. Can anybody relate with that? It's because this. You miss the mark. It is by your nature who you are. You are going to miss the mark. However, sin brought death into the world. Spiritual death and physical death. What happened was humanity was in the garden and everything was perfect. God had a great plan for them, but then sin entered.
and it took over humanity. And then death spread to everyone because all sin, because we all come from Adam. And there created this great gap between us and God. And then God created the law which brought condemnation because there's no one in the right mind or no one able, more than right mind, you don't have the ability, no one had the ability to keep the law. And so we needed a Savior. And God gave us His Son, Jesus. And really, every person in here that's in Christ, every person that will hear this message, every person that's in here that's not a believer that will come to Christ, when you come before Him, there's always this picture of like falling on your knees and surrendering. But when you come to Him, you have nothing to offer Him. You come empty-handed, asking for everything with nothing to offer, right? Because you've been corrupted by sin. And out of His grace, where sin is found, when we get just a little bit of Jesus, He takes our sin away. Is anybody happy about that? And what's really awesome is that when sin tries to take over Jesus, it is not able because he died to death and he died to it. Because the glorious power, the Father, the Holy Spirit raised him up. Sin tried to defeat him and it could not hold him down because on the third day he rose. And then Jesus victoriously took over sin. This morning what I want to know is this. What power are you living under? What power are you living under? Because you have the ability to choose. And when you do, just go ahead and hit that kick drum and start getting that. I want them to feel it in their chest as I'm preaching. Matter of fact, go ahead and stand with me. What I want to know is this, is what, what power are you choosing to live by? Because, listen, this is who you are. This is who I am. I am a child of God that's been redeemed, that's had the sin washed away from me, and I no longer have to walk in it if I choose not to. Is anybody happy about that?